This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, this is Mind Your Business Business. on Business Radio. Here's your host, Lauren Feldman. Welcome to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. I'm Chief Content Officer of the Oxford Center, where I edit a daily newsletter for entrepreneurs called The Morning Report. As usual today, we're not going to tell you how to run your business. It shows about ideas and strategies and conversations, and we want to have those conversations with you. If there's something you've been struggling with, call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And let me emphasize, this is a safe space for business owners. If you're struggling with something, someone else listening to the show is probably struggling with it, too. In other words, there are no stupid questions. And back with us today to help answer those questions is one of our regular guests, Jay Goltz, founder and CEO of the Goltz Group. Jay's based in Chicago, where he owns the largest picture framing shop in the country and several other businesses, including a home furnishing store. He's a manufacturer, a retailer, a distributor. He's the first to say he's made every mistake a business owner can make, and he talks to other owners all the time about their challenges. Welcome back to the show, Jay. Always good to be here. Always good to have you. So in a moment, I'm going to introduce another guest, and we're going to talk about social media. Um, but but I wanted to start, uh, as you know, I edit this um, daily newsletter called The Morning Report, and lately I feel like we've been overwhelmed with stories about uh, what's almost always called the retail apocalypse. Um, Barney's is talking about going bankrupt. Um, You know, just one thing after another, somebody, there's an organization that's cataloging uh, closed storefronts, boarded up storefronts uh, in New York City. Um, It just seems to be everywhere right now. You're kind of on the front lines. What are you seeing? How's it look to you? Um, I think it's gotten simple. Either be good or be cheap, and anybody in between is getting killed. And um, I think that a, a small is, is it good? Tell me how be good or be cheap. Is it be good enough cheap. to okay, be good? So Walmart's or? doing fine. Target's doing fine. If you're doing the, the low price thing, there's if we're selling commodity stuff, I think most of those kinds of companies are doing fine. The companies that in the companies that have really great service or design-driven products that have a better customer base that people that want that will pay money for it, I think most of them are doing okay. I think the stores that you see that are hurting are the ones that haven't figured out how to get their costs down to where they can be the low-cost provider, or their product line is just nothing distinctive that you can get anywhere. And I think that, you know, there's a little bit of a calling out going on. I, I think there are plenty of retailers that are doing okay. And I think that if you're a small retailer you still have the advantage of specializing and having uh, working harder to find better, more interesting products because these days people are so concerned with turnover and skews and editing things down that they only sell stuff that is the same stuff everyone else sells. And there are plenty of cool, interesting products out there that the specialty retailer can carry that you can't get everywhere. You know, the, uh, the, the word that I see all the time in these stories is experiential. All the stories are about retailers who claim they are fighting back by trying to provide an experience for their shoppers, which seems to imply it's, you know, it's, it's something more than providing the product or the service. Um, you, you know, it's going off in a whole different direction to get people to come in and hang out. Um, what do you make of that? 
I think it makes for an interesting uh, reading, but I, I, you know, I, I'm not their accountant. I don't know what their numbers look like. I can tell you, here's, here's what I would say about it. How about this experience? How about, and I like to shop. I'm, you know, yes, guys, some guys never go into stores. And That's I'm me. At the other end of the, right. Okay. I'm at the other end. of I love shopping. I love the whole, the whole process. Okay. So how about this experience? How about going into a store and the person that works there actually knows what they're talking about and actually has information and actually can help you decide what you're buying and can actually help you with the process. Because what I see going into most of these stores these days is this all started 30 years ago when health insurance started to go up a lot and the geniuses in charge figured out, oh, wait, I know how to solve that problem. Just hire part-time employees who don't have to pay health insurance. So now you go into these stores, a lot of them have Basically, their staff is part-time employees who never really get trained well enough. They're not long, they're not around long enough to really learn what they're doing. And in some cases, they're more like hostages. You go into some of these big stores, <laughs> you can't even find someone to help you. And if you do, they can't help you because they barely know how to use the the. the, the the, the computer system, and it's sad. Um, when, you, when you talk about the trend to part-time workers who uh, aren't getting uh, health insurance, are, are you talking primarily about uh, larger operations, department yeah, stores, yeah, big box? When, when we were kids and your mother took you into the big department store, she dealt with her friend from so-and-so who this was their full-time job, and they helped you in the store, and that person worked at the store for 20 or 30 years. Now you go into the stores, that, that person is, is far, there's, they're usually not there long term, and they come and they go, and it's a part-time gig in between other things, or they lost their job and they're working there now to just make ends meet, and they don't have the, 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 the same kind of person working in the retail stores that can actually help you with your purchase. And I would argue part of the reason why my framing business is literally 20 times the size of the average frame business in America is my sales, my, my consultants, my designers that work for me, and in my main location, I've got like eight of them. My average employee's been with me 10 years. They know what they're doing. They've got art background. They, people come in, they recognize them. They've been using them for years and years. You go into the typical store, it's a new face every time you go in there, and it's different. So I do believe there are some businesses out there that are doing well in retail because they're taking care of customers, and I'm afraid that this got lost out there. It's all they're all looking for the new gimmick and this whole experiential thing, I don't know. I'm sure in some cases it's valuable, but I'm also sure that it's there's a lot of flash there and at the end of the day they're not selling a whole lot more product. Um, but I don't know. I don't have their their financial statements in front of me. You're listening to Mind Your Business. I'm Lauren Feldman. My guest is Jay Goltz, uh, along with running his own businesses. Jay speaks frequently with other business owners at conferences, at trade shows and peer groups. If you have a question about your business, if you're struggling with something, give us a call. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Jay, I went into a a bike store the other day. I I hate to shop. It's the first time I've been in a store in a while. Um, And I was looking for bike gloves. And I found the the gloves I wanted, but I couldn't find the size I wanted. So I asked uh, someone who I happen to know is a part owner of the store um, if they had more of them. And he looked around and then just shook his head and said, you know, this is the new retail. We used to have boxes of these things. We'd always have more in the back. I could always bring them out. But but now, you know, we, we just get them in in time to sell them and we don't have your size. Is right. It- and the sad part is how many sizes the gloves are? They're 40? No, there's just three sizes, right? Or four? Maybe, maybe four. Medium, large. Right. And like, do you have triple X large hands? I don't think so. So no. it's not like you were, you were looking for a large, I presume? 
Um, actually, th- these were tight fitting. I was looking for an extra large, but um... okay, extra large. Okay, still not an abnormal thing. So, so they can't even have four sizes in stock for for something as common as gloves. I mean, that's just bad retailing. That's just what did he? What do you think he was thinking? I didn't want to ask him when he said this is the new retail. I mean, my best guess is just you know their their margins are tight. They're struggling, and they don't have the money yeah. to keep the inventory. Absolutely. It's, yeah. No, absolutely. In the bike business, which if I wasn't in the if I didn't start in the frame business, I might have been in the bike business. I like bikes, and I used to do it in high school and college. I, the bike business is tough, especially you're not in Florida. It's a in a seasonal market like you're in, like I'm in. You know, they're they're talking to themselves for three months of the year. It's a problem. I mean, it's it's in the bike shop business. I gotta believe. Well, I've looked into this actually because you know I speak at the frame show, so I always use other references. There's there's. Fifty percent of the framers in America have gone out of business in the last ten years because it's fifty percent more. It was there were twenty five thousand. It's down to eight. No, it's but they were the smaller ones that went out of business. So it's not exactly the industry is not down by half. But the number of frame shops has absolutely gone from twenty five thousand to eight thousand. Bike stores has also been a big drop. With that being said. There are still some very successful bike shops around, but you know you gotta you gotta have inventory and you have to know what you're doing, and you can't just show up. And not having bike gloves in your size, that's not a good sign. I mean, that's one of the most popular things in the store, and the margins on bike gloves are much better than they are on the bikes themselves. So, like, it's not a good excuse to you that oh, we used to have boxes in the back. No, you just needed a pair of gloves. You also, it, it didn't come from an employee; it came from somebody who's a part owner of the business. But but let me ask you this, Jay. I, I we've been talking about the retail apocalypse. You, you haven't mentioned Amazon or you know the competition from online. Uh, most people assume that's what's driving most of these problems. Do you, um, do you not feel that way? No, that's clearly part of the problem. There's no question that's part of the problem. But my point is, it's not the entire problem. Like, for instance, if he had a pair of extra large gloves, you would have bought them. But you didn't buy them because he didn't have them. So did you go back home and go online and order them? I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I let him talk me into buying a large. (laughs) Wow, and how do those fit? (laughs) They're a little tight. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, Lauren, he Lauren, told me they're Lauren. supposed to be tight, and I believed him. <laughs> yeah, no, my guess is we're about the same height. I wear an extra large gloves. I wouldn't have wanted to. Yeah, so, and, and then what does that say about retailing? He's talked you into, how about did he offer to order you some, or did he say we're getting a shipment in next? Did he, did he, he, he did not. Another? He did not. Right. This is, see, this is a bad retail 101. How about this wasn't an emergency? He could have said to you, you know what? We're going to need to order these. Just give me a couple weeks. I'll get the pier and I'll call you. How about that? You know what? I really wanted the gloves. So I sort of I wanted him to convince me that he, <laughs> the one he was holding in his hand was the right one yeah. for me. So when he tried, I bought it. Right. So now we're into cognitive dissonance. How do you feel about that now? Um, Bring back to go to that store again. You know what? We've used this store for a long time. Uh, my wife is a very big biker. We're there all the time. It's been good in a lot of ways. I was just stunned by his, this is the new retail, um, which is why I brought it up. But it, overall, I think it's a good store, but I, I think they are struggling. And I just, you know, I'm not confident they're going to be there a long time. Well, let me ask you this question. When you look at the store, does it look up to date or does it look like it did in 1985? Um, it looks up to date, except that, uh, in sections of the store, like the glove section, it just, it looks a little bit picked over and in disarray. Yeah. yeah, th- yeah. And that's no, probably what I you're asking that about. Ex- 
no, I've had that same experience going into bike shops. I think either you have to go for it or not go for it. But going halfway, I think you're designing your your demise. I, I don't think you can not have inventory. And, you know, that's what makes the whole thing work. So I think that it's easy to – listen, Amazon clearly has been devastating to a lot of retailers. I get that. But it's not the only piece of the puzzle. Having inventory, having the store look good, having people to know what they're doing working in the store is still part of the, the, the thing. And I would say here's a new element for anyone listening who's got a retail store. I would consider buying a building or buying wherever you're at because owning your retail space is is really valuable in that you know you don't have to deal with a landlord raising the rent every year or Starbucks knocking you off the street. And there are lots of storefronts that you can buy with an SBA loan for 10% down. And I would tell you in my case, um, I, I, only, I've, I, I own four buildings with my businesses in it. And I have one that I'm renting from a big mall, but the rest of them I own. And it's, it's, it's important, very important. You know, um, that's great advice. When I was at Forbes, we did a story. Um, nobody believes this is true, but it, it really is. There is a there remains a chain of video stores called Family Video. Yeah, I uh, spoke at them. They hired me to do a speech for them years ago. I think they have a, a one in Chicago. They're mo- they're not yeah. they're not in cities mostly. I think they're mostly in rural areas, but they still rent out videos, and it's. I think they're the revenues for the chain are like uh, five hundred million dollars a year, but. Uh, they've been around since the 60s, and they started with one principle. We need to own the real estate. And one of the things they've done through the years is as the market has changed, they've tried out other things. They've, you know, part they brought in somebody to sell pizzas uh, out of the store. They've, you know, tried entirely different concepts. They, you know, in, in many of their stores, they now devote less space to uh, to the videos. But, but they're still doing videos, and they've been able to survive. And I think a big part of it is exactly what you're talking about, well, they, owning I the real the estate. I think the key to businesses, you can't... You can't just play defense. You can't just start playing defense. Oh, well, Amazon's around. I better carry less inventory now because I'm going to lose. The more you do that, the more you're going to go out of business. You need to go on offense and say, okay, I need to make sure that the customers come in here, leave happy, and I have to have inventory. And if you start convincing yourself that, you know, Amazon's going to put you out of business, Amazon's going to put you out of business. I mean, you know, either be in the game or be out of the game, but being being half in the game isn't going to work just like in most things in life. So, um, but, but I, I fully agree. The bike business is tough. I, I get it. It's, 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 I'm not, um, downplaying the fact they've got some challenges there, but at the end of the day, Lauren Feldman wanted to get an extra large pair of gloves <laughs> and they didn't have it. I, I, that kind of says it all. Jay Goltz, um, don't go anywhere, but I want to introduce our uh, our next guest, uh, Mark Reichel. Uh, we're going to talk social media. Mark is director of business development at a company called Canary. That's spelled Q-N-A-R-Y. Canary helps executives and entrepreneurs like Jay improve their digital footprint. Um, I think we have an opportunity here. You, you, Jay, you said you can't go halfway. Just as a friend, I think you've kind of gone halfway with your own social media. We're going to talk to Mark about that, an expert in the area. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you so much, Lauren. Really appreciate you having me on. Really excited to be here. And, Jay, it's a pleasure to meet you as well. Same here. So, Mark, uh, why don't you start by telling us uh, – tell us about Canary. What, what exactly does Canary sure. do? Yeah, so essentially what we focus on at Canary is we help executives and professionals – build and grow their online presence. It's very much focused, our solution is focused on building thought leadership and influence 
for executives and professionals around the key topics they want to be known for. Um, essentially, what we found has happened over the last several years is really kind of two core things. Um, one is that social media algorithms and channels have really begun to ratchet down the reach that companies and brands get on their social content. So what happens now is when you're a company or brand in posting, you really have to pay to get reach on your content. And these social channels are much more in favor of connecting people to people. So as an executive and a professional, and you know, using kind of maybe Jay as the example uh, throughout, you know, someone who's uh, a business owner or a CEO or you know, just even a senior executive, when you post from your personal channels, the reach that you get on your content is significantly higher. Um, in addition to that, what we found is that people really want to follow other people. Um, and this has been a trend that's been happening for several years now. Um, and so whether you're in the B2B space, you know, and the way that you're, you really build influence for the company is certainly through the key executives, or whether you're in the B2C space, um, you know, consumers who follow a CEO on social, there's, there's statistics and studies that show that they're actually more likely to purchase items from the company. Um, and so, Mark, let me stop you for one second. I want, I want to be clear about sure. one thing. If you're talking to somebody uh, like Jay, who owns several uh, retail businesses, um, would you focus on his own personal uh, social media imp- uh, footprint? Or would you be talking about the, the, the business uh, channels as well, or both? Yeah, it would really be a focus on his personal okay, and the, the halo effect that his personal social um, and influence and thought leadership will have on the businesses is going to be tremendous. So the other key thing we found is that the way that a company can build their reputation and showcase the innovation coming out of the, coming out of the company is through the key stakeholders and business owners and executives. Um, and so what happens in the case, you know, using Jay as an example, um, you know, clearly from looking Jay up, he is an expert when it comes to business growth and transformation and the future of retail and customer experience um, and, you know, leadership and entrepreneurship, right? And so the idea is that these are some examples of specific topics that he should be sharing content around to further associate him with these topics to showcase and stay relevant around these topics um, and to make sure that he's constantly on the radar of people, whether that's, you know, consumers or whether that's, you know, CEOs and other business owners who may want to, you know, use him for advice or hire him to come speak um, or whether that's conference organizers. Let let me stop you there, Mark. I think what you're saying is is probably, I think is more on target than you could possibly even know. I've known Jay for more than 10 years. Um, he, I, I've told him many times, he could be a Twitter ninja if he put sure. the time into it. He's really good with words. We have a, a friend who's an author who always goes to Jay for his book titles. He's also really good with marketing copy. He could write great tweets. I've encouraged him to try to do it. He just, you know, like a lot of business owners, he's got other things to do. He hasn't found the, the time to do it. What, what yeah, do you do like- for someone like that? 
Yeah, and, and just to even kind of give you some reasoning on like the problem that we'll, we're solving for also is, I think you kind of nailed it. Most, most senior and C-level executives and owners, they, they, one, don't have the time. They don't have the know-how of how to optimize content, you know, for Twitter versus LinkedIn versus blogs. Um, they don't really particularly want to have to spend time doing this. Um, and they don't know where to start, right? Um, so with someone like with Jay, you know, how we would help him, there's really three key aspects to how to do this and, and, and really three key aspects to our solution. The first part is optimization. So thinking about all of the digital and social profiles out there, right? There's so many, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook business person page for someone like Jay, you know, which is very different than his personal Facebook profile. Um, several other channels out there, right? And for an executive like Jay and a professional like him, having a very consistent and optimized profile on many of these networks is going to be that first piece to building the foundation because essentially that will make him more findable on Google. It'll make him more discoverable. And when people look him up before and after they meet him, he's really in control of what they're finding. Um, the other thing for someone like Jay that I noticed is, you know, he's got some great content out there. So if you do kind of a quick Google search result, uh, Google search for Jay, you'll see, you know, videos of him speaking. You'll see articles he's been mentioned in. Obviously, you know, his, his blog in the New York Times, right? Um, it's all scattered throughout the internet right now, but there's a big opportunity to link back to a lot of this earned media and thought leadership that's out there from his social channels. So people can also see the recognition and the content he's put out there. Um, Mark, I want to bring Jay into the conversation. We've been talking about him as if he's not here and he actually is still here. But but, but, but first, could you just explain the link back concept? What what should he be doing to highlight all the things you referred to? He he worked together with me on the You're the Boss blog at the New York Times. He wrote lots of blog posts there that got uh, great traction. He's written a book. Uh, you're right. He does, he does a lot of appearances. There are a lot of videos out there. What should he be doing to highlight that stuff? Yeah. So, and, and I might get a little tactical here, but essentially sites like LinkedIn, um, blogging sites like medium.com, all of these sites, they offer ways where you can highlight and link back to any articles that you've been featured in videos that mention you, or even blogs that you've written in the past. And you can upload them to your profile. They then will get shared with your audience. Um, people will be able to see them right when they come on the page. And essentially the headlines of the articles you've been mentioned in or the visuals of the videos that you've seen right on the profile. And, you know, with Jay, obviously he's got this great content that is being produced through the, you know, the New York Times and, and uh, his blog. Right. And, and some of that content, and I think a lot of it is really evergreen. Um, and it's content that is definitely the insights from it aren't old. And so those can be uploaded to LinkedIn articles, which is LinkedIn's feature that allows executives to post longer form blogs. Um, we know that LinkedIn really wants their users to use this feature. So it tends to get a significant amount of reach, even beyond your current followers. Right. Uh, Medium.com is another channel. It's a blog publishing channel with, I think, a great audience for someone like Jay. It's got a lot of senior and C-level executives that post there. 
founders and entrepreneurs, VCs and investors. And so taking some of that great content that's already even out there and just republishing it and amplifying it on these channels will breathe new light for it. And it will continue to make sure that he stays relevant on the radar of people through his content. Um, and then, you know, part of it is that kind of original content, right? So meaning when Jay puts out a blog, you know, through the New York Times, that's original content. He wrote that, you know, a video of him speaking, those are, that's original content. Those are thoughts coming from him. So part of it is original content, but the other part is making sure that he's commenting and he's giving his insights on industry trends and articles. Which he's never going to have time to do. Um, right. That's never going to happen. Totally. Jay, let's, let's get Jay in this conversation. Jay, we've been throwing your name around. Uh, thoughts, reactions so far? You know what? You brought up some interesting things I hadn't considered, but I'd like to go back to square one because you still forget about how ignorant I am. <laughs> social media, walk me through, because I'm not the only person. I'm going to guess that if you ask most of your listeners right now, list out what social media is. I doubt they could do it. So list out for me. Social media is, number one, what's the most important part of, and let's just use me as an example. What do you think if I want to go out there and do more business speeches and I want to talk small business and I want to get some more customers, what is social media? Give me all the categories. Wait, do you number want to know one. what the platforms are or yeah. do you want to know the yeah. reason why you should be active? No, no. First, tell me the platforms. Okay. Yeah, sure. So I'm going to go through several of the platforms, and then I'm going to go through the ones that I would really recommend for you, Jay, to be very active on in terms okay. of sharing content. Okay, so, you know, and, the, and, and there's a lot of social channels out there. Some of the key ones in general that you should at least have a positive and consistent profile on are sites like LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Medium.com. Um, wait, wait, wait. Sites like a, having a Facebook, uh, Medium.com. I never even heard of that. How is that possible? Yeah, it's it's a blog publishing channel. Um, You know, you have big, big business leaders like Jeff Bezos who actually tend to publish things and many others. Just kidding. Yeah. Okay. And then you have other many other executives there. Um, You know, YouTube, right? Uh, Having a Facebook business person page. These are examples of social media channels. Now, for you, Jay, and there's many others, there's, there's ones that are like about.me, which is just almost like a static profile where you can use it to outline yourself in a positive, consistent way, and it'll rank on Google, so it allows you to own and control what people find about you, right, and make you more discoverable. Now, when it comes to sharing consistent content and really building an engaged audience, Jay, the key channels I recommend for you are the, really three core channels, and that's LinkedIn. Twitter, a site called medium.com, right? This blog publishing site I'm talking about. I do really also think a Facebook business person page would do well for you because you are somewhat of a public figure, right? For sure. In that you're speaking, that you've been featured as a contributor by New York times and you're putting out some great content. Um, And so the same content you would put out on LinkedIn could also go out on your Facebook business person page. So Really, those three core channels are LinkedIn, Twitter, and Medium, where you would then be repurposing your LinkedIn content for Facebook, right? And that's, those are the core channels to focus on. Um, and I'm happy to kind of take you through each of these channels and how they could best be used. Well, let me stop you first. Like yourself. I need sure. to, uh, to take a quick break. 
Um, but th- we're, we're doing a little bit of an assessment here for Jay Goltz, which I suspect, uh, Mark, you'll tell us when we come back. Uh, this is kind of what you do with, with most of your clients. But while we're doing this yeah. assessment for Jay, we're, we're open for anybody who wants to call in. If you have a question about your situation, if you're not sure what you should be doing, uh, join the discussion. We'd love to hear from you. The number is one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. My guests are Jay Goltz, who is not a uh, a digital native, and Mark Reichel, who is and who is director of development at a uh, business called Canary, where he helps people like Jay uh, establish a presence uh, online. We'll be just talking more about this, especially about the idea of, you know, why should you do this? How do you know if it's working? What 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 can I expect to get out of it? All of that and more uh, after a quick break. And remember, that number is one eight four four nine four two. 7866. I'm Lauren Feldman. This is Business Radio, powered by the Warden School on Sirius XM 132. You're listening to Mind Your Business on Business, Business Radio. Here again, Lauren Feldman. Welcome back to Mind Your Business on Sirius XM 132. I'm Lauren Feldman. I'm here with Jay Goltz and Mark Reichel taking your calls. Jay's been building his businesses in Chicago for decades. On Twitter, he's at Jay Smallbiz. Mark is Director of Development for Canary, a New York-based company that helps entrepreneurs and executives make the most of their social media. You can find Mark on Twitter at Mark, M-A-R-C underscore Reichel, R-E-I-C-H-E-L. If you've got a question or a comment, our number is one 844 Wharton, that's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Jay, I want to get back to your questions uh, for Mark, but let's take a phone call first. Doug uh, in Illinois, welcome to Mind Your Business. Hi, thank you very much. Um, I'm just curious about uh, the cost for service for what uh, is being described. Uh, I, I know that there's a lot of different uh, social media um, awareness companies that will take over a small business and handle their Facebook uh, account. And uh, I'm just wondering what the cost is and how you measure results. Doug, that uh, actually, I was going to say that's a great question. You added a second. Those are two great questions. Um, Mark, uh, how do you charge for this service? Yeah, so the the way we charge for the service is it's a monthly fee, um, and basically it includes everything. What we've done is we've built a solution that we know works because it includes really the three key ingredients to building executive thought leadership, um, and that's optimization, rebuilding, and optimizing the profiles. It includes content, so we're creating all of the content for you, tweets and LinkedIn posts and blogs and articles and infographics, and it includes growth. So we're actually growing and building your audience and deliberately connecting you in with the key audience segments you're trying to reach, whether that's you know consumers, executives, media and journalists, conference organizers, right? There's different types of segments you may be looking to reach. Um, and also that includes a technology. We've built a mobile app and a technology where we send you content and you can easily review and click the approve button. And we then get notified you approved it. We publish it for you at the time your audience is most active or you can decline it. It basically makes for a seamless and easy way for you to receive content and approve it. Um, and it's a monthly fee. It's $950 a month. And it basically includes everything. The way that we've built it 
we know that within six months, our clients will see enough significant results to want to continue or, or at the very least to have a great experience, which is, of course, really important for us because making sure our customer experience is the best. And, and, and Mark, that, that was the second part uh, of Doug's question. What, uh, wh- how, do you, how do you measure those results? What, how, you know, for someone like Jay and, and I suspect maybe Doug, it, you know, it's, it, it can't just be a matter of, oh, I got a lot of likes. What, what's, right. what's the purpose of this and how do you know if it's working? Yeah, so there's a few ways. I mean, we're certainly tracking all the key social media KPIs like audience growth, engagement growth, top people following you. But then there's things like understanding, you know, what are your goals? Are you looking to get more speaking engagements? Because that's a key part of the strategy is to to then deliberately connect you in with those key conference organizers. Are you looking to get business development in some way? You know, are you looking to advise people and clients? Are you looking for people to buy from you something and understanding that, right? Um, and then, of course, there's benchmarking you against your peers and competitors. So understanding what, you know, who are your peers and competitors and how do they look on social and how are you growing benchmark compared to them? And then it's looking at the industry as a whole, right, and understanding how you're fitting in compared to the average executive and professional in that industry. Um, and these are just some of the ways that we're measuring it. Obviously, you know, when we, when we start with a client, we also ask for their specific goals. And based on specific goals, we also can fine-tune and begin to track results against those goals. Okay. Now, uh, I want to get back to Jay in a, in a moment and ask him what his goals would be. But let's take another phone call first. Uh, another one from right. Illinois, actually. Robin, welcome to Mind Your Business. Hi. Hi, um, it's Robin Solman. Um, I don't have oh. my own business, but I live out by Jay. And I've had my, my um, artwork framed by him. And I've written for you, Lauren, at Forbes. And I wanted to share um, a tip. As a matter of fact, I posted about this conversation on LinkedIn. And I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you liked my post. And, um, and I don't remember, maybe on Twitter, you uh, said you were really looking forward to listening. And here you are. Thank you for calling. I was. I am. Thank you. I just wanted to throw something in really quick about LinkedIn. Because um, I'm hearing everything Mark is saying. I have this super long history with LinkedIn. I've beta tested with them for seven years. And right now is the optimal time for any executive to get on LinkedIn. Why is that? They are starting. They just, they hit over 600 million people who are on the platform. And they ju- I just talked to them two weeks ago. They are now streaming content. like So it's more personalized. So you start to get a very, very niche engagement. So if Jay started sharing his stuff um, regarding, you know, framing and his just, you know, those little personal things, he's going to start to garner that type of population and people who are interested in it. Now they're really streaming the topics and the niches um, according to what people are interested in. And they just implemented that like last week. So now is like the optimal time to really get out there on LinkedIn because it is just, it's growing. I think six seconds. Six seconds, there's a new user globally. That's a great world. tip, Robin. Thank you for calling in and mentioning that. But here's the key question. Did you, did you get good customer service when you uh, took framing to uh, Jay's shop? You know what? I did, and it was something I did in high school. It was a picture of Jim Morris, and I drew it from the doors, and I did. So thank you, Jay. <laughs> yeah. We were very close. Thank and you. And I love Lauren, my former editor at Forbes. And I just wanted to throw that in um, with LinkedIn because they're just really rubbing things up now uh, since Microsoft acquired them, and it's just the platform to be on. I've 
um, I wanted to have voice uh, last November, and the growth is is the opportunity for organic growth right now is tremendous. Robin, thank you for your phone call. Really appreciate it. Mark, does that make sense to you? Do, are you seeing the same thing yeah, with LinkedIn? So, I mean, LinkedIn for is it, is the channel for professionals and executives, right? So I absolutely agree with Robin in terms of the visibility. They're always trying to get the most relevant content to people who are interested in that content, right? So as I mentioned right. before, you know, there's a few things to think about with LinkedIn and also with Twitter, and I'll go through why Twitter is also important, but both channels and social media in general – their algorithms reward consistency. So essentially, the more consistently you're publishing content, the more visibility your content will get. Um, and so what we found at Canary is for an executive like Jay, you know, sharing three posts per week, for instance, we know that's the frequency where you can really leverage the reward from LinkedIn's algorithm without oversharing. Because oh, so let's go to that. Wait, let, let me stop you there. Let's go right to that. How are you going to get yeah. three posts a week out of Jay Goltz? Well, we'll, we do the content. So we've built a solution that the only thing our clients have to do is approve. And that's why we built a mobile app to make that very But But how do you know what Jay wants to say? How do you, you know, Jay's been doing this for 40 years. He's a very smart guy. He's got real insights. How are they going to come from you? So we've built a very methodically developed onboarding and kickoff meeting where we go through several questions to understand Jay's tone of voice understand Jay's audience. So, you know, I mentioned this before, Jay may be looking to connect with small to medium-sized business owners, CEOs, um, you know, other startup founders and entrepreneurs, right? Um, Certainly could also be consumers, but then there's the media and journalists, right? There's the conference organizers, there's investors and VCs and other business leaders, right? And these are just some examples of segments, Um, but really understanding his audience, understanding the publications he likes to read. Where does he like to get his news from? Um, And where does he like to stay informed? Understanding the key influencers in his industry that he finds influential and would love to connect with. Many other questions, including what are the three core topics Jay wants to be known for? Um, Basically, what we find now, Lauren, is when a senior executive, even if they are active on social, they tend to post about so many different things, nobody knows what they're known for. So it's really important to have focus. That's how you build thought leadership and association quickly. So we would understand and build out Jay's, what we call his content pillars, the three topics he wants to be known for. I gave some examples, right, just from looking him up, like business growth and transformation, the future of retail and customer experience, you know, entrepreneurship. These are just examples. We fine-tune this, of course, with Jay, but then all the content we create keys up to these topics. So all of the tweets we're doing, LinkedIn posts, even the the longer-form content like blogs and articles. The other great thing with Jay is that's out there, but it needs to be further amplified. So looking at all of the content that's kind of scattered throughout the Internet, and then you can create micro-content from that to publish it out there and amplify it, right? Um, And there's two different types of content that we create. Or there's the original thought leadership. So, you know, an original blog or infographic or something. And then the key thing for Jay is he wants to stay relevant and on the cusp of of innovation in the industry and show that he's on the, on, on the cusp of innovation in the industry and stay relevant and on the radar of key influencers. So, you know, if Harvard Business Review, for example, puts out an article on, you know, the future of retail or customer experience, Jay could be sharing 
the unique insight from his you know, perspective, tagging the journalist and author in the post, any other influencers, and that will build association between him and a topic, highlight him as a forward thinker, and you know, add value to his audience with that insight. And then by tagging the author or journalist, they're going to be likely to, to follow him back because they'll be notified, right? So I'm just giving an example here, but the key idea is that we're actually able to do this for executives and business leaders like Jay so that all he has to do is approve that content, and that's done via our mobile app, which basically what we found is doing the content for an executive is half the battle. Getting Jay, you know, even if I send Jay all of his content for a week, you know, tweets and LinkedIn posts and a blog or so forth, getting him to then publish it at the right time his audience is most active is also a challenge because he's busy, he's traveling, you know, his schedule's very hectic. So we created this mobile app so that he can easily review each post. He can hit the approve button, he can hit the decline button, or he can edit. If he makes any edits, we not only see the version, the, the final version, we see the exact edits he made, and our technology actually tracks those edits. So Okay, let me stop you there. If, uh, let me just remind our, our listeners, if they have a, a question about any of this, if they have a comment about how they handle social media, uh, please give us a call. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. But, but let's go back to Jay. Jay, what do you make of all this? Are you intrigued? I, there's there's many things that Mark has said that I didn't think about, about getting in the right places and the right timing and all that. I guess I'll help him with a, a little better answer than how are you going to do this for Jay. It sounds to me like, Jay, here's what we do. We do a data dump. We sit down with you and we get all the stuff that's on your mind, your whole toolbox of phrases, your toolbox of what you usually write about, and we collect all of that so that when these opportunities comes back, come up, we can go to that toolbox and pull out stuff that we know is your thinking. Is that basically what you do, I think? Well, the, yeah, the onboarding is to exactly getting that, collecting that info and teasing out the info we need from you to rebuild your channels and do your content, and then making sure that you're receiving new custom yes. content every week that you yes. can just easily approve or decline. Yes, in my case, it wouldn't be having to be teased out because I'll just throw it up on you and they'll be plenty <laughs> of stuff there because that's what I do. It won't have to be a nuance. Yeah. I mean, I can t- I know what I know, and I, I you know my book's out there still, and I have all those blocks. I mean, I could make a list of yeah. all the stuff that is my thing, my shtick, as they might call it. And, and yeah, that is interesting. I, that is interesting. Let's and, go back for and, a second. Uh, Mark, you referred to rebuilding his channels. What, what did you mean by that? So when you think about a social profile, right, there's a lot of things that go into building a profile and small things make a big difference. I'll give an example. So I'm on Jay's LinkedIn right now. Okay. Um, and basically the first thing you notice when you go to someone's LinkedIn typically is that cover image, right? Because it's the biggest image on the page and you want to use that image to establish authority and credibility. Now, Jay has a cover image, which is already better than 90% of executives, right? Most don't even have it. Um, I actually do kind of like his cover image. It shows, you know, honorary Jay Gold's way, right, which is where his businesses are. And clearly that shows him of someone of stature. Now, what because of Jay's key goals now and maybe being out there and getting speaking engagements and being a public figure also when it comes to business growth and transformation and, you know, his insights as a leader, I would also recommend adding an image of him 
speaking on stage or speaking on a panel as that cover image. Because right when someone comes to the page, it's a powerful image. It clearly showcases him as an expert in the industry he's in. It showcases authority. Okay, and that and that's the first thing they're going to notice. Other key file, and I'm just giving examples here, on LinkedIn specifically, underneath Jay's name, he has his LinkedIn headline, you know, Goltz Group CEO, blogger, speaker, author. Now, again, Jay's done it better than I think a lot of executives who most of the time they just put their title here. But this LinkedIn headline is very important because essentially LinkedIn is giving a significant amount of SEO to the keywords that you have in this headline. So you will become more findable for the keywords in this headline. Now, he does describe himself as blogger, speaker, author, too, which is good. Um, but I would also recommend adding in those keywords around the topics he wants to be known for. So some examples could be, you know, business growth and transformation leader, future of customer experience in retail, entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneur speaker, author, board member, right? Um, even, even, you know, he put blogger putting like New York Times contributor. Obviously, the New York Times is extremely well known. So things like that are going to help really just people understand what he's focused on now, establish credibility as well. Um, and then he will become more findable for those keywords and topics. Um, in addition to that, you know, Jay has his bio and in the about section on LinkedIn. Um, it's really kind of three paragraphs. I would also recommend at the end of this bio, bullet pointing out, again, his current areas of focus. And then LinkedIn, this is where they let you link to any articles you've been featured in or videos of you speaking um, or, you know, any thought pieces you put out. So Jay could link to, you know, there's a wealth of content Jay's put out that's kind of scattered throughout the Internet. He could link to a lot of this, and it'll show up as these nice visuals. And again, right when someone comes on the page, they see the recognition that him and his businesses have received in the media, some of the great thought leadership he's put out, um, some of the great videos of him speaking. Um, and that's also going to be powerful from a, an initial reaction right when someone gets on the page. Jay, I think you're getting um, some good advice here. Are you, well, are you taking let me notes? Tell you what you don't, let me tell you what you don't know. It's not working. I mean, What's I, not working? I, I, my LinkedIn thing is not, maybe it's getting me people calling me trying to sell me stuff, but I can't tell you that I can think of in the last three years one person to call to say, hey, I saw you on LinkedIn and we're looking for a speaker for our conference on blankety blank. It's not working. So even though I'm, I'm feel decent about what's on there, it's clearly not working. So there's, it's broken. I mean, assuming that yeah, doing well, it right would get me the leads. That, so you have some interesting you know, insights there that uh, maybe is the problem. Because like I said, it, what I did so far is certainly not. I don't know that you can kind of do this. Either you have to do it right or not do it because there's so much volume out there that, that you'll get lost, at, which is assume where I'm at. My guess is I'm just lost in a sea of, of LinkedIn people. Now, the, the other key thing, Jay, is, is sharing content, and that's really key because right now it looks like you haven't shared content on LinkedIn or you haven't in so long that they're no longer sh sh showing any content that you've shared. And the content is so key because you can have your profile, and if your profile looks great, that's, that's definitely the first piece. It helps you become more findable. It helps establish that first impression. But by sharing content, you're always staying relevant, and you're always staying on the radar of these potential you know, clients or And, and Mark, you're, you're talking about sharing other people's content, um, you, you like I that mean, Harvard Business Review story yeah. you were referring to? Yeah, because you know, it's just like a conversation um, in terms of social. You know, 
you probably know people or you've had those conversations with people where, you know, you're talking to them and they just, they can't, you could tell that they're just waiting for you to stop talking so they can talk. And if you only post about yourself and you only post about your business, it's one, it's, it's inauthentic. Um, and two, you know, you're not giving any maybe additional insight through that. So you want to do twofold. You want to have that original thought leadership, but you also want to be commenting on industry trends and articles because you want to join a conversation. You want to show and give value to your audience. You want to give people a reason to follow you. And you do that by adding insight and valuable, um, you know, tips and tricks and so forth around relevant trends. So again, you're associating yourself with a topic. You're also engaging with influencers because you're tagging the journalist who wrote a piece or you're tagging. Explain that, Mark. You you made that reference before. And I think it's a a really smart thing that a lot of people don't even think about. Why why are you tagging the journalist uh, when you uh, when you share their content and comment on it? do that, you know, they're, they get a notification saying, you know, Jay Gold's just mentioned you in a post. That notification will, you know, much of the time have them go to your post, look at the post, and then engage with it. And then, and then likely check out your profile, see who you are, and likely follow you. So you're taking someone who, you know, is, pub, is being published through, you know, somewhat of a, a, known, a known publication, right? And now they're engaging with you and you're on their radar. Um, and so it's really good to, you know, build a dialogue with people but like this. Th- and if you retweet and- somebody, doesn't that happen automatically? Do, do you have to, if you retweet somebody and add a comment to what they've tweeted, do you also have to tag them in the, in the retweet for this to happen? I would tag them in the retweet. They do get notified by people who retweet them. But the thing is, a lot of people, if a lot of people are retweeting the same article, they'll just see a huge list of people who have retweeted one article. But if you mention it'll show like, you know, specifically that you um, specifically mentioned them in a post and getting retweeted from someone is one thing. And, and, you know, of course, retweeting on LinkedIn, it's you can share a post and add a comment, but that's not that much different than sharing a relevant trend or article, right? It's just that not every journalist is going to publish, you know, their articles on their LinkedIn. Um, and so you wouldn't always just reshare a post um, on LinkedIn because you'd want to link it back to the original article. And then and you, you tag the publication as well. So you would tag at Harvard Business Review as well as the journalist who wrote it. Jay, we're in the weeds here a little bit. Have we lost you? Yeah. I was dozing off for a second, but I'm back. Um, I'm getting this is way more complicated than I thought, and it does explain why it's not really working. And the problem for someone like, and I don't say problem, here's, here's just the deal. If I don't pay attention to my inventory, it gets out of control, and I don't have the money to pay the bills. If I don't pay attention to my hiring practices, I hire the wrong people. I can make a list of 20 things that if I don't pay attention to it, I'm going to pay a bad price for it. In this case... It's a lost opportunity, but it's not like I'm going to wake up on Thursday and go, oh, my God, because I wasn't doing this right. Look at what bad thing happened. So it's easy to put this on the back burner because it's not causing me any issues. I have to make a decision whether this is important enough to me and whether there's an ROI in this in the long run to put the energy into this because this is going to require some energy. Mark, you've got 30 seconds. 
Why close should Jay? Me, baby, close me. Why should well, Jay yeah, put I mean, the time look, into this? There's nothing. I think there's nothing more important than your personal brand um, and influence. Anything that you do, your businesses, the board seats that you're on, um, you know, anything you do, it, it really ends up leading back to your own influence and personal brand, and that affects everything. It affects the talent that you hire. You know, I, I was listening to a video where Jay, you were rightfully talking about how hiring is one of the most important things in business and talent. As you build out your thought leadership and presence, more and more people not only want to work with you as a client, but they want to work for you. Um, there's so many different reasons why investing in your personal brand is the long-term solution to making sure you're always relevant and you get to do what you want to do, whether that's build a business, whether that's join a business, whether that's speak um, or join boards or so forth. So. It's really an investment in, in your career and your personal brand. Um, and that's really the big thing that we found. And anything that you do when you've built out your influence and credibility in, in yourself as a thought leader will have a nice halo effect by having you associated with them. Okay, let me just do my closing thought. Mostly all true. I want to share with you my new line, which is everyone who speaks in absolutes is always wrong. Um, you're I got it. Nothing more important than your than that's not true. Hiring the right people is more important. I'm not saying it's not important, but I would dial that down one notch. It's very important. Sure, Got it. sure. No, that's it's very, certainly I, not I, the I, most important thing. So yeah. So Jay, you're summing up. Mm. Are you thinking that I, this I is something you need to focus on, or are you still you, not convinced? Okay, let's not use the word need because I don't need to do Ten seconds, this. Jay. But, okay, no, here it is. No, it's certainly something compelling that I should look into because there might be some great opportunity here that I'm not getting because clearly what I'm doing now isn't working. So clearly compelling, interesting, legitimate, seems like something I should be looking into, which I will. So done. Jay Goltz, thank you for being our guinea pig today. Thanks for uh, coming back as always. You can follow him on Twitter at Jay Smallbiz. And <laughs> if you'll find out soon if he hired Mark because you'll see that his Twitter feed gets a lot better. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you so much. And if anyone else wants uh, an analysis or for us to put together an analysis of their online presence, uh, feel free to submit a submission form through www.qnary.com www.qnary.com. Mark, thank you. Really appreciate it. My thanks to audio engineer Dion Simpkins and producer Michelle Stucker. You've been listening to Mind Your Business. Thank you for listening, everybody. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 